Thank you for joining us for this week's message from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. Each week we share thought-provoking and life-changing teachings on topics that are important and relevant to you in your life. We hope that you will be encouraged by our weekly podcast and will tune in regularly. Now let's join the First Christian Church of Great Bend for this week's message. In the last three weeks as we have made our way through the reality of regret, we have learned there is this simple yet powerful method we can use to be set free. Step number one is when we have done something wrong or when we have done something that we regret, we not only have to face what we have done, but we've got to own it. I did that. That's my fault. Step number two, once we have owned it, once we have said this is something that I have done, we've got to go to the people that we have wronged and we've got to apologize and make amends. We've got to say we're sorry and try to do everything in our power to make things right. And then last but not least, which is step number three, we've got to forgive ourselves and move on. Or we've got to forgive ourselves in the same way that God has forgiven us so that we can go out and become all that God has created us to be. Because if we will follow these simple Yet difficult steps, simple to understand, difficult to do. We will find ourselves being unburdened from all those regrets that we've been carrying around for far too long. So that in turn we can be set free. The goal is to be set free and to go out and do all that God has created us to do. Or to to do and to be all that God needs us to do and to be for the sake of the kingdom without anything holding us back. But now that we've spent the last three weeks examining our regrets in regards to our relationship, which is very, very important. Today, to close this sermon series out, we're going to talk about the most important piece, which has to do with our regrets when it comes to our relationship with God. And this this is something that people have a really hard time with. So when you think about it, most of the time, the regrets that we have when it comes to our relationship with God are caused by sin. And very simply put, sins are those things that we do which we offend God with. Now, there's some complexity in that, and we could do a whole sermon series on sin, um, but that just kind of gives you the gist. Or to make this more practical, let's say there is this person that in their lust for success makes some sketchy moves. You know, like tell some lies, exploit some people to get what they want. Or think Lincoln Riley, the former Oklahoma coach, and you'll get what I'm talking about here. Any, I got two people who got that joke. Well in, <laughs> well, in this example, what most normal people would feel or, or what they would end up regretting or these sketchy moves that they made to get what they wanted. Like they do that and then they start to feel bad about it. Which are not only moves that have hurt other people, but most importantly, they are behaviors that have offended God or sins that have been committed. Well, in response to the regret that these behaviors, these sins have caused, this person is not only responsible for doing what they need to do to make things right with other people. That's what we've talked about in the last three weeks. But most importantly, it's also the case that they have some things they need to do when it comes to restoring their relationship to God, or overcoming the regrets that they have because of their sin. And to show you how this works, let me walk you through the first part of my favorite parable, the parable of the prodigal son. 
to not only bring to light how we should respond after we have sinned, but more importantly, to see how God longs to respond to our regrets, no matter how bad they may be. So the parable begins in Luke 15, 11 through 12, and it says this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Now, in the ancient context, and even today, what this younger son has just asked of his father is absolutely ridiculous. It's not how things work. Because at that time, it is not lawful for the head of the household to give any of his inheritance out until he was on his deathbed. But nonetheless, here we find a son coming to his father, even though he knows better. Everybody in the ancient context knows this rule. Asking his father for part of his inheritance. Or to get what's going on here, parents. Just imagine your teenage child coming to you and saying, Hey, where's my money? Hey, I want you to give me what you were going to give me when you die. Because that's what's going on here. That's the ask that is being made. Now, what you would expect given normal circumstances is that this father would have dealt with his son harshly by putting him back in his place. Helping him to learn that that's not the way things work around here, right? That's what you're supposed to do when your kids step out of line. But surprisingly, that's not what happens. No, instead, the father does this, which is more scandalous than what the son asked for. So he divided his property between them. He divided his property between them. This crazy father didn't say no, but instead went on to give his son what he asked for. And of course, then this happens. Because what else would you expect from a boy who has just been given a whole lot of money and the freedom to go out and do whatever he wants? A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. Or after this boy gets exactly what he wants, he didn't waste any time. He packs up all of his stuff, and he travels to a distant country where no one will know who he is, and he can do whatever he wants, where he spends this fortune he has been given doing all the questionable things you would expect a boy to do with a whole lot of money and no supervision. Or to get a sense of the Greek phrase that gets translated as dissolute living, just imagine what an 18-year-old boy would do today if they went to Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? With a whole lot of money and no accountability. Because that's what's going on here. That's what this son is up to. This son, in a sense, he's living the dream, man. This is no way I get to do this. This is absolutely amazing. But just when this kid thought he was on top of the world and everything was going as it's supposed to go, as always happens, his luck runs out. And things get very scary very, very quickly. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. Or in the ancient context, a famine was the worst case scenario. It's the worst thing that can possibly happen. Because what happens during a famine is a whole lot of people start to die, starting with the people on the bottom of the social scale, which is exactly where this boy finds himself after he spends all of his money. Or this boy is in some serious trouble and if he doesn't get something figured out quickly, he is going to be dead. That's the place he finds himself. So in his desperation, the younger son does what he has to do to survive. He went out and hired himself out to one of his citizens of that country. 
who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Or because this boy has no other choice, the younger son going against everything that he has been taught as a good Jewish boy, he gets a job working for a Gentile pig farmer. And the reason that's significant is because not only are Jews not supposed to work for unclean Gentile sinners, Gentiles here being a reference to anyone who is not Jewish, but it's also the case that good Jews were forbidden to touch pigs because pigs are unclean. But that's not even the worst part. That's not even the worst part of the story. The worst part is that not only do we find this boy working for a Gentile pig farmer, but it's also the case that this boy has fallen so far that even the unclean, disgusting pigs are doing better than he is. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. Or the picture that this parable is painting for us is that besides death, It can't get any worse for this kid. This kid has fallen as far as you can possibly fall. Or to to bring back our, our Vegas example, the place where this boy finds himself would be similar to that of a good Christian boy. After he spends all of his money on things he shouldn't have, getting a job as a busboy at a strip club, a low end strip club, longing to eat the scraps off the consumer's table, and no one gives him anything. At this point, it looks very bleak. It looks very, very bleak. But then, just when you thought all hope was lost, what starts to happen in this darkness? Sometimes we need darkness, by the way. Sometimes we need this stuff to happen so we can get our minds straight. Is that in his desperation, regret begins to set in. And because of that regret, because of what he has done, he begins to rethink everything, getting to the point where he knows now that he made a horrible mistake. He got it completely and totally wrong. Which means the only thing left to do for him to make things right for him, to have a chance at surviving, is he's got to go home and face dad. He's got to apologize and make amends. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And so he set off and went to his father. Now what I love about this parable is that it's clear that the father is God and we are the prodigal son. We are the one who chooses to walk away for one reason or another. But what's also interesting is that in the same way we're called to overcome our regrets when it comes to our relationship with others, this parable reveals to us that this is the same thing we're called to do when it comes to our regrets caused by sin or when we have done something to offend God. Or for me, what's so beautiful about this parable, what it brings to light in story form so it sticks in our brains, is that it shows us that it doesn't matter what we have said. It doesn't matter what we have done or left undone. If we want to receive forgiveness from our Father, if we want to be set free of these regrets that are caused by our sins, then what we have to do as a bunch of prodigal people 
is we have to face and own what we have done. We can't run from that anymore. Then we got to spend some time confessing those sins, those regrets before our God, telling him how truly sorry we are and we have messed things up, and then finally doing what we need to do to make things right. Because again, in the same way we overcome our regrets when it comes to other people, we are being called to do the same thing with God anytime we choose to walk away. Very simple. Very, very basic. But here's the most amazing thing about this parable, what it reveals to us about God. The parable continues. But while the son was still afar off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Notice that. While the son was still afar off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And he ran and put his arms around him and he kissed him. Which, by the way, is not what this father is supposed to be doing. This, to this father, this son should be dead for all that he has done to this family. It's not just the father who has been wrong. It's the entire family in a shame and honor system. But what we find is that this father, even though this son has done all of this to him, he's actually standing out there waiting for his boy to come home. He's up on the hill and he can't wait for him to get home. And then when he sees him, what he does is he doesn't run out there and begin to yell at him, right? Look what you've done. Look what you've done to this family. This is the stuff that you're going to have to do to make up for it. No, what he does is he acts like a woman. And I say that because in the ancient world, men are not supposed to act like women with hugs and kisses, but he doesn't care because this boy of his who was lost is now found. It just blows me away. So ultimately, after this son begins to confess to his father, right? Then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer uh, worthy to be called your son. But, but, and what I want you to notice here in this particular line of this verse is the father just cuts him off. Right, he didn't get all the way through the apology. The father just cuts him off and he does this. The father said to his saves, quickly bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get a fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to party. It says they began to celebrate, but come on. <laughs> they began to celebrate. Or what I think this parable is trying to get us to see when it comes to all those things that we have done and left undone. All those things that we have done to hurt God is that when it comes to what God wants most for all of us, it's not wrath, vengeance, and fury. It's not for bad things to happen to us because of the things that we have done. Now, we will reap what we sow. That's just a part of the deal. No, what God wants most is to forgive us and set us free. So much so when we choose to walk away, when we choose to sin. God is always standing out there on that hill waiting for us to come home, no matter what we have done. And when we do choose to come home, because that's our choice, that's the choice we have to make. He will run out to greet us with open arms, ultimately accepting us back. Come on now. I just told you that the creator of the universe, when you do something to offend him, is waiting for you to come home. Or to really see this. 
All you have to do is look towards the cross of Christ. Where our God, because of his unconditional love for every single person who has ever lived, gave his everything, gave his life as a way of chasing after us, making a way for all those sins and regrets to be forgiven so that we can be set free. And all we have to do to receive that gift, that grace, which is unbelievable, is to face and own what we have done. Yeah, God, I did that. And we got to apologize and make amends. And then last but not least, we have to forgive ourselves as God has forgiven us so that we can move on devoting our lives to doing all that God has created us to do. And that last piece is really, really important. There's a lot of people that I know who have confessed and been forgiven by the creator of the universe, but they still can't forgive themselves for what they have done. And so what I would say to you is this. If the creator of the universe has forgiven you for what you have done, how dare you think that you can't forgive yourself? How dare you think that you know better than the creator of the universe? He forgives you. He loves you. Forgive yourself and move on. You're not doing him any good having your little pity party. Forgive yourself and move on. So, now that we have made it through this difficult series on regret, and I know for many of you this this has been a tough one, this is what I want you to not only remember, but to practice every single day of your life when needed. If you ever get to that place, and you will probably tomorrow, where you have done something that you wished you wouldn't have done, then what you have to do to overcome and be set free when it comes to, to both your relationship with people and with God, is you got to face and own the things that you've done. You have to confess, apologize, and make amends. And then last but not least, you have to forgive yourself as God has forgiven you and move on. Because that's what it looks like. That's what it takes to overcome any regret you will ever face. And so now you know. I think intuitively we all knew this. So what are you going to do with that information? Are you going to continue to make excuses? Are you going to continue to live in fear? Are you going to do what you need to do to overcome? My hope is you'll make the choice to overcome, knowing that God will walk with you every step of the way. Let us pray. Father, this, this parable blows us away every single time. We read it every time we wrestle with it, and it shows us just how madly in love you are with every single one of us. And that when we do something that we regret, when we, we have these sins, oh Lord, that, that you're waiting out there on the hill for us to come home. And that when we do come home, you run out to meet us and you kiss us and you hug us and you accept us back. No matter what we've done. Just like this, this son who did the unthinkable. You accept us back so that we can become all that you have created us to become. So, oh Lord, for those regrets that we have towards others, for the regrets that we have towards you, now that we know what to do, give us the strength and the courage to go do that. 
so we can finally be set free. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.